You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, 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 everybody, to the tape review episode of Locked on Vikings. And hey, this football season's been plenty different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you've been watching this season, because Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generation that Pepsi fuels, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. I'm your host, your pal, and the kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And of course, the Locked On Vikings podcast is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today is Rewatch Wednesday, where we talk a little bit more in depth about some of the things that come out of this Jacksonville game. We're not going to talk about the chaos, the stupid field goals, the fumbles and stuff like that. We kind of covered all that on the Monday show. Today, I want to get into some of the more schematic things. And really, I want to address the question, well, a bunch of questions that come out of this game. But A, you know, why did the Vikings play down to the Jaguars so much? And a lot of it was, you know, you turn the ball over, that's kind of what happens. Um, but there were also some schematic things that I want to talk about. Uh, and also questions about Cameron Dantzler, questions about Justin Jefferson and his target share. So we're going to get into all of that. But before we do that, we have to start with a little bit of news. The Vikings wave Holton Hill on Tuesday as the main event uh, with a couple of other moves. There's some practice squad shuffling that happened as well. But the main thing is Holton Hill was waived from injured reserve which gives him a chance to maybe go play somewhere else, but it does kind of signal that the Vikings are done with Holton Hill, and it is an unfortunate development. Of course, you know, back in 2018, when Hill was an undrafted free agent, he was supposed to go in the third, fourth round in that draft. He was supposed to be a first-round talent with off-field issues, and those off-field issues, as well as some medical issues, uh, sunk him all the way out of the draft. And so it was always going to be a thing about availability concerns. Is Holton Hill going to be able to be on the roster? And the answer to that question was kind of a no. And the, him falling out of the draft kind of bore out, which is really unfortunate because, I, you know, you always root for players like that to succeed and kind of prove everybody wrong. And, uh, you know, the fact that he got in trouble for a, a marijuana thing, he got in trouble for a PED thing, and then the medicals have also come up. He's been dealing with a foot injury, um, even though I don't think that that's like particularly related to a college injury or anything like that. So I think that's more just like a factor of luck, but it like still feeds into the confirmation bias, which is annoying. Uh, Holton Hill will no longer be a part of the Minnesota Vikings. It's also kind of a vote of confidence in the rest of the cornerbacks, namely Cameron Dantzler, who had a wonderful day against Jacksonville. Doesn't need to rotate anymore. So that's just like one fewer player you need to worry about giving reps to and kind of giving all of the uh, all, all of this attention to when you have a player like Cameron Dantzler who can just be a, a mainstay on the defense and you don't have to think about it anymore. It helps make a decision like that a little bit easier. And it kind of does right by Holton Hill as well. If somebody else wants to take a chance on Holton Hill, assuming that he was waived because he's finally healthy, but the Vikings didn't want to put him back on the roster, and you can't just stash him on, on injured reserve if, if he's healthy now, right? So you kind of say, okay, well, good luck in the market. Maybe somebody else picks you up who needs a, a, a depth corner. I think Holton Hill is a backup quality corner. I think the Vikings could always use backup quality corners. So a reunion with Holton Hill, I don't know. I would definitely be in favor of it. 
But at least for the time being, the Holton Hill experiment has come to a very disappointing end. Also, Brandon Dillon was put on uh, practice squad reserve injured. He did get into the game a little bit the last couple of times with Irv Smith out, so that's just a depth piece they don't really have access to for a while. He must have gotten hurt. They also signed Zach Bailey off of Tampa Bay's practice squad. He was a, a an undrafted rookie out of South Carolina last year, and he hasn't gotten much time on an active roster yet, so it doesn't really sound like that's going to be a particularly impactful impactful move, and it's somebody we can kind of talk about in more depth at a future date if he becomes more relevant. It goes on the active roster and actually looks like he's going to get some playing time. But now I kind of want to weigh in on a debate that went on online. And if you are not perpetually online, bless you, you are making a good decision. Uh, but basically, so Field Yates, a uh, popular NFL uh, personality, tweeted about the Stefan Diggs-Justin Jefferson trade and, and kind of revisiting the whole thing, right? We've had this conversation a lot where it's definitely like worked out for both sides. You know, things worked out for the Vikings. They now have Jefferson. He's cheaper. Bills are plenty happy with Diggs and all of that stuff. Um, but he tweeted out kind of that whole uh, sentiment, revisiting again the Stefan Diggs trade, which centered around Justin Jefferson, he says. Diggs, 90 catches, tied for first in the NFL, 1,037 yards, which is fifth, four touchdowns, and a true number one wide receiver for an elite offense like Diggs wanted. And Jefferson, 61 catches, 1,039 yards, which is fourth in the league, seven touchdowns, and he's a superstar to build an offense around, basically saying, hey, look at this cool win-win. And that tweet kind of sparked a lot of debates on Vikings Twitter and Reddit, kind of spent all day talking about, you know, well, it, it, did the Vikings win this trade? Are they using Jefferson enough? If they're not using Jefferson enough? Isn't that a mistake that kind of makes it so that they aren't really winning this trade as much? You know, Bills have maybe a better offense and more explosive stuff, although that's also kind of debatable uh, because the Vikings offense has been like pretty explosive. They've had a lot of deep catches. Um, So here's where I weigh in on this. And I think the, the real thing that I think people are getting wrong is the target thing. Basically, the contention is the Vikings aren't targeting Justin Jefferson enough. It's a byproduct of them just not passing enough in general, which I do think is valid. But like, that's the criticism. It doesn't really have anything to do with Jefferson specifically. Like Adam Thielen should probably get more targets and shoot. So should Chad Beebe and Kyle Rudolph. Like they should just be passing more. And that's, a, I think, a different conversation than like they are misusing Justin Jefferson as if they're like using him as a decoy or something. And people are kind of wrong about his targets uh, lately. So he didn't play for the first two weeks, or he played a little. He played like half the snaps for the first two weeks. He wasn't quite ready to play. We've kind of gone over that, how that happens with rookies, how they kind of have that light bulb moment where they memorize everything they're supposed to memorize, and now they can play all the all the snaps that they're supposed to play instead of having to be like held back until you like can be trusted not to run the wrong route or whatever. And Jefferson still has had some miscommunications and some rookie moments, stuff like the offsides in this Jacksonville game where he's run the wrong route and stuff sometimes before, which is it's like normal rookie stuff. It's fine, but that's the reason that the Vikings wouldn't put him out there right away. But if you just look since week three, Justin Jefferson has been targeted 16th most in that time frame. If you want to look more recently, last two weeks, he's third most targeted. Last four weeks, I think he's sixth most targeted. He's being targeted plenty. So I actually graphed this out. I went and just graphed out him and a couple of notable comparisons. Diggs, uh... DeAndre Hopkins and CeeDee Lamb and their kind of usages in the last X game. So if you just want to look at the last four games, who's been targeted the most, the last six games, who's been targeted the most. And if you look at that in the last month, in the last four to six weeks, kind of the last like since the bye, I guess, uh, Justin Jefferson has been targeted more than anybody. So if you are upset about Justin Jefferson's like total targets, you're just kind of upset that they didn't put him on the field like right away. And they probably had a pretty good reason for doing that. But I don't think that there's really a volume issue here with Justin Jefferson. If you're 
your critique is that they should be passing more and they're overusing Dalvin Cook and stuff, I think that's valid, but I think that's also a separate conversation that doesn't have much to do with Justin Jefferson specifically any more than it has to do with Kirk Cousins or Adam Thielen or Kyle Rudolph or anybody who's a member of a passing game that is pretty good and probably should be used more. But if you're going to make that that argument, you probably shouldn't be using a, a target share narrative that sort of expired around week seven. What I will never let expire before I get through them is my stash of built Bars, the best tasting protein bar ever. How'd you like that one? The new improved built Bar is back and even more delicious. It comes in 18 amazing flavors like German chocolate, peanut butter, a couple of new ones like carrot cake and caramel brownie, things you don't think you should be able to snack on if you're trying to lose or maintain weight, guilty treats, but you don't have to feel guilty about them even though they're covered in 100% chocolate because they're low calorie, they're low sugar, they're high protein. They're high fiber and they're even keto friendly. These bars have under 20 grams of protein, like four or five grams of sugar, four or five grams of net carbs, and they're totally loaded with protein. So if you want to try Built Bar for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right. So today we are going to basically put a moratorium on Jacksonville. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that I noticed in the tape of Jacksonville and some of the narratives that come out of it. And then we are going to move to Tampa Bay tomorrow. I am going to have the arduous task of explaining the Vikings to David Harrison of Locked On Bucks. So that should be a fun time. And then of course, on Friday, we'll talk about Brady and that offense and the Bulls defense and how to counter all of it. So if you're interested in all that preview stuff, come around tomorrow and Friday. But for now, I want to stick to the offensive side of the ball, and I want to talk about some of the themes that I noticed. So one of the things that I think really, really mattered in this game that ruined a lot of plays and therefore ruined a lot of drives was the Vikings left a lot of guys unblocked. And sometimes that's the play design, but I have kind of a criticism about that. So a lot of times on a rollout, you'll leave the backside uh, edge rusher unblocked. Essentially, on an outside zone play, let's say you're running Dalvin Cook all the way outside to the left, the, the edge rusher on the far right, you won't bother blocking because Dalvin Cook will probably uh, outrun that guy. And the same thing happens on a bootleg, you know, you can't, but, but what you have to kind of hope is that that backside guy is going to be deceived and run after Dalvin Cook and Kirk Cousins is running the other way and that buys him enough space and enough time for the play to develop rather than like traditional protect, uh, pass protection, which when you're bad at traditional pass protection, like the Vikings are, can be a better option. That's kind of the point of the rollouts. But teams are starting to read this. So Joe Giles Harris of uh, Jacksonville was that backside guy a whole lot. And he was always reading that quarterback. He was reading Kirk Cousins, going after Kirk Cousins and really, really attacking. And it ended up blowing up a lot of those plays. Suddenly, you just have an instant unblocked pressure when a play was supposed to make it so you didn't have to block anyone. Now you kind of had to and you didn't. And there are ways to tweak this. You don't have to throw rollouts out of the playbook entirely. Somebody, I was tweeting about it online and somebody was like, well, I guess we can't run rollouts anymore. I don't think that's true. Like that would ruin a lot of the other parts of the playbook because you wouldn't have the threat of rollout, which some of those things kind of, uh, kind of rely on. Um, and I just don't think it's like that severe. I think you just need to tweak the way that you block them instead of leaving backside edge rushers unblocked, just kind of slide the protection over. So the, the tackle on that side, or if there's a tight end on that side, either chips the guy or the tackle just blocks the guy and you just kind of slide the protection over. Um, you, you can change the way 
and tweak the way that those plays are designed to make it so that you aren't just relying on that backside edge defender to be fooled by the play when they're not really getting fooled by the play anymore. They're reading these things and they know what the Vikings are. They know the Vikings like to run a lot of rollouts, so they're aware of this. And I think the Vikings can make a pretty easy tweak that would unlock a lot more production on these rollout plays, which tend to be shot plays, really deep plays. So even just unlocking one or two more that wouldn't have otherwise been there can make all the difference in a game. The Vikings also kind of struggled in the run game here. They got a lot of volume in the run game because they ran out a lot, but they had a lot of plays uh, where somebody, it was often Dakota Dozier, kind of tanks their block. And a lot of times CJ Ham had to help with that disaster. So if CJ, or if Dakota Dozier gets beat immediately, CJ Ham, instead of going in and lead blocking and finding, you know, the safety or the linebacker or whoever's supposed to be in that gap and kind of de deconstructing their whole deal and, and doing his fullback job, he has to basically clean up someone else's mistake. And then it becomes up to Dalvin Cook to make that linebacker miss. And he didn't do a fantastic job of making that linebacker miss. So the play wouldn't work very well. So there's this kind of ripple effect, you know, you have the guard loses their job and that means the fullback can't do their job and that means the running back has to do the fullback's job and that's kind of hard for the running back to do and so you kind of ruin a lot of plays that way um, but Dakota Dozier himself needs to be called out because it was like just always Dozier if there is an offensive play that didn't work chances are it's Dakota Dozier's fault even the extra point miss one of the, the first extra point miss the one that got blocked was Dakota Dozier's fault Dozier just had an absolutely abysmal game I honestly think it might be worse than Drew Samia's game against the Seahawks that I, I cut up like a Benny Hill theme to like he, he, he his his losses weren't as comedic looking so it like wasn't as fun to like post and joke online about but like it was uh it was a lot more frequent dakota dozier just got beat all the time he gave up a gajillion pressures he gave up a ton of run blocks he had an absolutely terrible terrible game uh rudolph kai rudolph in run blocking also had a god-awful day like basically most of the run plays that didn't work out were either dakota dozier kyle rudolph and you've like explained like 90 percent of the run plays that didn't work it was really really bad on those two players and it messed up a lot of plays and of course it brings up the like what about brett jones discussion i still don't think the vikings are going to do it and again i've explained it a whole bunch of times i explained it on the mailbag if you want to listen listen to yesterday's mailbag about why I don't think the Vikings will start Brett Jones except out of like a sheer necessity over Dakota Dozier. Um, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if we looked back at this game at the end of the year and saw that this was Dakota Dozier's worst game. Wouldn't be surprised if he didn't have another one that was this bad because this one was pretty spectacularly bad to the point where it's like hard to repeat. But it was a really rough time for him and for Kyle Rudolph in the run game and uh, for those guys in like pass protection and stuff too. Um, and the only other thing I really want to call out in, in this particular uh, discussion about the offense is the final series in overtime. Tyler Conklin, kind of an unsung hero. I kind of wanted to shout him out. For one, he ran a really, really good slant on a second and six that erased an egregious offside penalty on Justin Jefferson, uh, made it completely irrelevant. He absolutely dusts a cornerback off the line of scrimmage, gets all his contact in within five yards, so it was perfectly legal, got a bunch of separation, and Kirk threw just a dart over the middle. Uh, really good play from him, and then he actually unlocked one of the bigger run plays from Dalvin Cook on a third down by basically becoming the lead blocker. It was a zone read or a zone run with a bend read, which what that means is it's the usual run play the Vikings run and a bend read. Basically, it looks like a cutback. It's the zone read word for a cutback. And Tyler Conklin was the backmost, the backside kind of defender uh, blocker on that play, which means he became the lead blocker when Dalvin Cook cut back when he bent that that run back. Uh, and Tyler Conklin just absolutely destroyed somebody, got up under somebody's pads, pushed him way back and, and gave the room for Dalvin Cook to uh, to convert that without 
without really having to work very hard at all. He just had to make the right read, and it was a free conversion from there. Two really big plays for Tyler Conklin. I thought he played really, really well on that final drive, and that's what helped the Vikings get into much more comfortable field goal range. So the Dan Bailey kick at the end that sealed it was kind of an automatic thing that we only really have to think about because we're Vikings fans and we're tortured. But maybe the single most exciting thing about this game was Cameron Dantzler, who had this unquestionably elite performance that just sizzles on tape, and I cannot wait to talk about it, so stick around. Don't forget that tomorrow on the Locked On Podcast Network is Crossover Thursday across the entire Locked On NFL Network. I'll be crossing over with David Harrison of Locked On Bucks. We'll talk about Brady. We'll talk about their kind of schematic weakness to cover two, which has been kind of uncovered. It's been a really interesting team to cover from the national perspective on like Locked On NFL when they've been on a bunch of Monday Night Games. And Crossover Thursday is a great way to get a quick breakdown of every game for your fantasy team or for your parlay. Crossover Thursday is only on the Locked On Podcast network your team every day. So let's talk about the defense. And I want to start actually with Todd Davis, who ended up having to fill in for Eric Kendricks, who hurts his calf in warmups. We still haven't heard anything about that as Mike Zimmer was asked about it. uh, And he just kind of said like, "Uh, we don't know, we'll have to see. And it was just this total non-answer. So we still don't really know anything there. Um, But Todd Davis had to fill in and I kind of thought he did admirably. He got a really bad uh, PFF grade, which I think is largely rooted in missing four tackles on the game, which is abysmal. He did not tackle, but I thought he put himself into decent position. Um, He had a little bit of trouble shedding blocks, um, but I thought like he did the hard stuff and now he just has to do the easy stuff, which is just so emblematic of the Vikings that I think he belongs. But he really had an interesting game. I thought he he, uh, deconstructed blocks well. I thought he evaded blocks pretty well. Once he was engaged with, he had trouble shedding. Um, But I, I don't think that that was as like that egregious of a problem. And he had some really interesting moments in coverage as well. I think I was really intrigued by Todd Davis and the way that he played. I'm kind of excited to watch him uh, in next week's game to see if, unless Eric Kendricks plays, which is obviously better. But I'd be kind of excited to see how Todd Davis plays in like a full starting role where they've game plan for him, where he's had the whole week of practice. I kind of think it might turn out better than we think. I don't know. It it felt like he he showed out a game where he could be better later. He's just got to clean up some of the tackles. He just came in at some wild angles. He dove at too many ankles. And, uh, and and just didn't wrap up like soundly. And that's a huge problem. And that totally sunk his PFF grade and like rightly so. I thought Eric Wilson had an interesting game. He started out kind of getting smacked in the seam. He, he gave up a couple of really big uh, plays in the seam to tight ends. Like right, like he gave up the very first play and he gave up another one later to, an, I think, to Eifert um, and had some blips in coverage. And then he really, really tightened up later in the game, especially a really good pass breakup over the middle that ended up leading to a, a third down that turned into a punt. And Jeff Gladney was having kind of an interesting game as well before he ends up going out with an injury. I thought that he had a, a kind of an up and down game, but with more ups. He had some really, really cool run plays and he had some really difficult run assignments that are kind of uh, by like nature of the safeties having to play too high and stuff, which we're actually going to talk about in a second here, because really the headline of the game has to be Cameron. D- oh, and Afadi Adenabo had a really nice game as well. Uh, but the headline is Cameron Dantzler. Cameron Dantzler had an elite game. He was targeted seven times. The Jaguars t- tried to take advantage of him and it did not work. He was in blanket coverage, like pretty much all of those. And it's really just the one two point conversion. I think he had like two or three bad plays on the game. Uh, he had one uh, kind of lapse in zone coverage that was on the backside of a play that Mike Lennon didn't see. He had the two point conversion at the end of the game. That was his fault. He just got beat on a slant by uh, Colin Johnson. He played it too far outside. Johnson breaks inside and was wide open. Um, I think he gave up like one more catch, but even that like wasn't a bad play. So that's 
elite, right? Three bad plays on a whole game where you played 71 snaps. That is absolutely an elite. Uh, maybe he missed a tackle too. I don't know. It's all nitpicking. He played fantastically. And what is especially encouraging about that, and the, the caveat we've always had with the corners is that they're playing in cover two. And cover two asks a lot less of a corner. The Vikings just aren't asking them to play very well. And in this game, that kind of changed. They kind of add, Zimmer kind of asked Cameron Dantzler to step up a little bit more and he paid it off. The Vikings had Cameron Dantzler in one-on-one coverage with DJ Shark and Colin Johnson, these outside receivers, and a lot of times did doing so without safety help in a single high look or with, you know, both of the safeties committing to the other side of the formation. And Cameron Dantzler was on an island and he played well. He rose to that challenge. And that is huge because that unlocks a lot of things that the Vikings can do with coverage that Zimmer has been dying to do and hasn't been able to because he hasn't had a corner playing as well as Dantzler played on Sunday. So assuming that Dantzler can uh, continue this level of play and not like exactly that level of play, that would be ridiculous. We probably should. That's probably like unhealthy to expect. Uh, But if he can still keep playing well at corner, keep playing well as a man to man corner, especially there's a lot of different things you can do. So right now, the Vikings play a lot of cover two, and sometimes they just play a straight up cover two. both the safeties are in the back of the, the field. Uh, even pre-snap, so the quarterback knows that it's cover two and they don't really make any effort to disguise it for fear of somebody messing something up and having a miscommunication. You know, you add those layers of complexity and they just play straight up cover two. And that's worked okay because they've kind of added some wrinkles to that cover two to help uh, against the like common pitfalls of cover two. It's, it's like worked okay, right? But it's only the one coverage and basically everybody's running cover two beaters all day against the Vikings. The Jaguars ran some. It didn't work great because the Jaguars kind of stink and, you know, the defense on the whole has had a really good game outside of the first drive and the last drive of regulation. Um, they didn't give up really anything, especially kind of holding the Jaguars back during the Vikings 18-0 run that turned it from a 16-6 game to a 16-24 game. The defense had a lot to do with that and got a lot of stops there. Like the, the defense played very well, I think, on the whole in this game. So say we can trust Cameron Dantzler to play good enough man coverage uh, in, in the future as a cornerback, that unlocks a whole bunch of things. So the Vikings don't like to run a lot of cover three anymore, and that's not actually due to the corners. That that happened before the corners started playing poorly. Um, that happened just because of the way offenses have kind of evolved. So cover three used to be kind of in vogue, right? Zimmer in 2017 ran a ton of cover three. Cover three was like the base coverage during the 2017 juggernaut year where they suffocated everybody out. And cover three typically is, uh, cover three sky is the one you're probably familiar with. The, the variant of cover three you're familiar with, where there's one safety in the middle, two corners on the outside that are responsible for all the sidelines. That's kind of what the Vikings would do. And then they would do a match zones or pattern matching. It's this Nick Saban thing that kind of happened in the 90s that's that's uh, become very common, where instead of just playing a zone where you just kind of guard everything that's in your area, and when somebody goes into your area, they're your responsibility. When they leave that area, you're, they're not your responsibility. And you have to pass off, and there can be holes in that and stuff. And it actually dates back to when Nick Saban and Bill Belichick were on the Cleveland Browns staff back in the 90s and they couldn't beat the Steelers and they had to find a way to beat the Steelers so they invented uh, like match zones and pattern matching or at least that's one of the stories right Um, but what they basically told started telling their players was when somebody goes into your zone you're just man to man on them now and forget your zone and forget all that stuff just guard that guy man to man and if you did that with everybody you'd end up with what looks like man coverage but with zone coverage rules that counters a lot of concepts but you still get to use man technique and stay tight on guys and so the vikings would love to use that kind of thing but again if you're playing man to man on somebody you have to beat that person and you have to you know 
cover that guy one-on-one and the Vikings corners, you know, Chris Boyd and Chris Jones and, you know, when it was Holton Hill and Hughes and, and the rookies weren't playing well, like they couldn't really pay that out. But if Dantzler can pay that out and it brings that back into the fold, the Vikings can actually run stuff like cover three looks again. And what gets really clever about this is they can't run cover three sky, right? Because that means they would have to have another corner on the other side that they can trust. And maybe they can't trust like Chris Boyd with this, right? Or they can't trust, you know, Jeff Gladney on the outside with this. Um, but you can trust Harrison Smith deep. You can trust Anthony Harris deep. And if you can trust Cameron Dantzler deep, that is three defenders. And that's just cover three cloud. That's just a different variant of cover three. And what you can do is you can actually line up looking like it's cover two and no quarterback in their right mind who's watched any Vikings tape is going to question whether or not it is actually cover two because the Vikings run so much cover two. They're going to think, oh, cool, our cover two beater that we've dialed up is totally good. But if that cover two beater loses to cover three, then you might be able to kind of bait them into something here. Again, provided that Cameron Dantzler can uh, rise to the challenge, which it looks like he can. And what cover three cloud is, is you you start your safeties kind of back in the backfield like they're playing cover two, but one of them goes to the sideline, one of them covers the middle, and then you have a corner play kind of regular cover three deep zone pattern matching the way that uh, the Vikings kind of asked Cameron Dantzler to play in this game. And it can be kind of a tricky thing, especially because the Vikings are very, very set up to uh, to to pay off the assumption that when they come out in a too high shell, it will be cover two. A reasonable assumption to make because of the way the Vikings have played defense in the past. It just looks like what they do. And then suddenly a new brand new wrinkle you haven't seen on tape at all. And you can kind of get somebody's goat. This also opens up stuff, you know, the Vikings have actually had Jeff Gladney play deep safety roles in like inverted coverages and stuff to try to be clever and trick people like this. So they've they've actually done some some of this. They can do something called cover th- cover three buzz, which looks like cover four, where you have four deep defenders. Um, and it looks like, you know, quarter or, or quarters coverage. But instead, one of those defenders actually goes underneath in, in a robber zone where they try to pick something off or, or jump a route or kind of be tricksy. And then instead of having, you know, uh, four deep defenders, you just have a regular three deep defenders and they divide the field evenly. Um, And it's another kind of tricky thing. All of this is enabled by having a corner that can play outside. Having Cameron Dantzler and having him be able to play is going to allow Mike Zimmer to do a whole bunch more kind of tricksy things. And if you can keep paying that off, this is a really nice time to get access to that wrinkle and not have to play with one hand tied behind your back anymore, which is what Mike Zimmer has had to do because of the corners. You can even come out in more single high looks, which will help against the run. Again, the ripple effects here, which we've talked about ripple effects a lot on this show, but the ripple effects of Cameron Dantzler's play, if he can keep it up, really are innumerable. It's kind of astounding the effect that not having good cornerback play has had on this defense, and there's kind of no choice about it. Zimmer either has to let his corners get burned or, or kind of torpedo his scheme to take care of them and baby them, and if he can take the training wheels off, and by the way, Cameron Dantzler has played all of the snaps. He played all 71 snaps in this game against Jacksonville. It's the first time he did that. And for Zimmer, that's kind of a signal that he has graduated. And if he's graduated and the, the, the training wheels can come off and Zimmer can start asking more of him, it just it unlocks so many more options. And his defense can play like a real defense again and not one from 2006. 
And honestly, I think that is a great place to leave the Jacksonville game because I think that might be the single most impactful thing that comes out of the Jacksonville game is the Cameron Dantzler breakout game if he can keep it up and it's not just a one-off thing. But tomorrow, we're going to transition into Tampa Bay mode. We're going to start talking about the Bucks. The Vikings travel to Tampa on Sunday to take on Tom Brady and those Buccaneers. We'll talk to David Harrison tomorrow, get a feel for these Buccaneers and their weapons and their defense and all of that stuff and start talking about how the Vikings can get their first ever win as a franchise against Tom Brady. So I hope to see you all there. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow. And as always, skull.